Good morning. So we've been doing a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer and taking it apart line by line so we can discuss what each line of the Lord's Prayer means so that we know what we're praying when we say this. And today we'll be talking about the last line, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When I was in high school, I was a camp counselor for fourth through eighth graders at Camp Goddard in Oklahoma, the same camp that I went to when I was that age. And I was responsible for eight girls um, in a cabin for a week. Camp Goddard had no air conditioning in summer in Oklahoma, so we did the best that we could with box fans. We also had cabins that had no bathrooms in them, so we had to go to the bathhouse, which was centered kind of in the middle of where all the cabins were, and all of the girls shared this one bathhouse. And so you had to go there anytime you needed to go to the bathroom or take a shower. We swam in a lake, and so every day after we swam, we had to get all of the girls showered and then send them back to their cabin to finish getting ready. So it was my turn to monitor the time of the shower and say, hey, it's time for you to go, next person in, so we could get everybody done. And as I'm standing there doing this, one of my girls runs in and says, Leslie, we need you in the cabin. And I was like, okay, I'm almost done here. Like, I'll be down there in just a few minutes. And she's like, no, I think we need you right now. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Like, what do you guys need? And she was like, I think it would be best if you just came. And I was like, at this point, I'm like, okay, did somebody break a nail or did somebody quit breathing? Because with four, uh, fourth through eighth grade girls, it could be either. Um, you just never know. So I ran back to the cabin, and one of my girls is sitting on her bed crying, holding a box fan. And I was like, what is happening in this scenario? <laughs> like, I can't imagine. And so I was like, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? And she turned the box fan around, and I was like, oh. So back in the late 70s, early 80s, when this was taking place, almost every girl had very long hair. And she had decided that it would be really neat if she dried her hair with the box fan. And so her very long hair is wound very tightly around the blades of this box fan. This is not even the story I want to tell you this morning. This is my setup because I want to explain what it's like to work with fourth through eighth grade girls. And this story just tells it all. It took hours to untangle her hair and we finally wound up having to cut a little bit of it off. Now that I've set the stage, during the week we take all the campers to a nearby national park. It's called Chickasaw National Recreation Area and it's in Sulphur, Oklahoma. So some of you might have been, it's not very far from here. So now we're talking about nine to 13 year old girls and boys. The girls bring the drama and emotion, the boys bring the energy and the, what is the polite way to say this? Um, not so bright ideas. <laughs> now remember what I told you, all of the counselors are in high school so what we really have here is more like a scene from Dumb and Dumber. Um, 
It's really remarkable that any of us lived through that week. So we pull into the parking lot, we get off the bus, we start walking down the trail to the place we're going, and the counselors are out in front leading the way, campers are supposed to be following, and all of a sudden a herd of campers come running by us. And I think to myself, someone needs to stop these kids before they get hurt. Almost immediately, panic sets in because I realize I am that someone. <laughs> See, what the campers didn't know is just ahead of us was a huge drop-off. So you go down this trail, you come out on this cliff of rock, and then it's a drop-off. There's another trail that you get on that takes you down safely through that drop-off, but they were running so fast, I was afraid they were just going to go over the edge. So in the three seconds it took for my adrenaline to kick in and start actually doing something, I had already imagined in my mind, and this is going to tell you something about me, I had already imagined in my mind all these kids going over the cliff and lying in a heap at the bottom. Fortunately, we got them stopped before anyone went over, and the worst injuries we had were skinned knees from trying to slow down and falling. My point is, there was danger ahead they didn't know about. There was danger ahead they didn't know about, and we wanted to protect them from that. It's the same way with us and God. We're walking along together with God. He's leading the way, and then all of a sudden, we bolt up in front of him. And when we do that, sometimes we do it because we don't know there's danger ahead. And sometimes we do it because we just don't believe the danger is that dangerous. So we tend to get ahead of him and we get into danger and then he's behind us and we have to face that danger alone. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If I have to go through temptation or testing or trials, don't let these lead me into sin, but deliver me that I may remain faithful to you, God. That's what we're saying there. And notice how that ties in so beautifully with what the praise team was doing with their theme of faithfulness. Keep us faithful to you. The word for temptation can also be testing or trial. So I'm going to use those words interchangeably rather than saying all three of them each time. James 1.13 tells us that God does not tempt us to do evil. However, God does allow us to go through times of testing. Therefore, we ask for his protection and his strength when those are allowed. We know from praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we are participants in bringing the kingdom. God has asked us, Jesus has asked us to be a participant in that. If I am an apprentice to Jesus and I'm living like he did, then I should expect opposition just like he did. I should expect temptation just like he did. If I have to go through the test, deliver me that I may remain faithful to you. Following Jesus is hard, and great tests and trials will come our way. I want us to look, the approach I want us to take with this this morning is I want us to look at 
lies we believe, and I want us to look at how God provides ways out of temptation for us. So I'm going to start with the lies. And I want to suggest that most of the time we're tempted ultimately by some lie that we believe. Paul Tripp, who's an author and a pastor, says it this way. On this side of eternity, I live in a world of moment-by-moment temptation. The world I live in does not operate as God intended, and because it doesn't, it whispers seductive lies into my ears every day. It works to deceive me into thinking that what is ugly in God's eyes is really beautiful and that what God says is wrong is really right after all. I want us to use as our passage for looking at these lies um, Genesis 3, 1 through 13, where it's recorded that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent. I'm not going to read that whole text, but I am going to pull a few verses out of it. So lie number one is God is not good. And where we see that in this text is in verse one, where the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just the question brings up the question of a good God would say that. It makes us question God's goodness. Lie number two is that God is withholding something good from me. And this is in verses four and five. Again, the serpent speaking. You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat it, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God knows that there's something good when you eat what he told you not to, and he is withholding it from you. Lie number three, if something looks good, it must be good. This is verse six. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. If it looks good, the fruit looks good, it's from a tree that's good, it's pleasing, then it must be good for me, even if God says it's not. And lie number four is there's nothing wrong with me, it's the people and situations around me. And this is verse 12 and 13. And this is where um, God says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man says, The woman you put here with me, she gave some of the fruit to me and I ate it. It wasn't me. It was the woman. And then the woman says, but the serpent deceived me, and I ate of it. It wasn't me. There was nothing about me. It was all the serpent. So there's nothing wrong with me. It's the people in situations around me. So those are the four lies. God is not good. God is withholding something good from me. If something looks good, it must be good. And there's nothing wrong with me. It's the people in situations around me. So now I want to take those four lies and apply those to a situation that we might encounter. So lie number one, God is not good. 
Did God really say, do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you? Did God really say, don't be sexually intimate outside of marriage? Did God really say, don't spend your money on yourself, but on furthering my kingdom? Did God really say your work is not about you being fulfilled? It's about how you can bring my kingdom to what you do? You fill in the blank. What is the question that causes you to question if God is good? A good God would not ask us to do those things is basically the lie that we believe on number one. Lie number two, and I'm going to go with the one, um, do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. So that's what I'm going to use for my examples on these other ones. Lie number two, God is withholding something good from you. You will not lose your place as one of your father's children if you don't love those who have hurt you so badly. What if they hurt you again? God is withholding protection from you. God is withholding something good from you. He's withholding protection. Lie number three, if something looks good, it must be good. It would be much more beneficial to let them know what it feels like to hurt like they've hurt you. To hurt back makes the most sense and feels right, so it must be good. And then lie number four, I am innocent in this. It's this person that has done this to me, and that is causing me to be um, unloving or unforgiving or whatever the case may be. This is not about me. It's about what has been done to me. I have no part in what is wrong with this. So my question to you is, what lies are you believing? What lies are you yourself believing that make you open to sin when you're tempted or tested or tried? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. Because most of the time, this is quoted as, God will not give you anything you can't handle. That is not what this verse says. It says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and he will provide a way out. So what are the ways out that God provides for us? Let's look at the two times that we have recorded in Scripture that Jesus was tempted and see what we can learn from those as far as ways out. So this first passage is Luke 4, 1 through 13, and I'm going to read this one out of the message. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil playing on his hunger gave the first test. 
since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. It takes more than bread to really live. The passage Jesus is quoting there is actually Deuteronomy 8.3, and the whole thing says this. The Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So Jesus answered him, it takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all, and I can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me, and they're yours, the whole works. Jesus refused, again backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness, Deuteronomy 6.13. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. He said, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus said, and it's also written, don't you dare test the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6.16. That completed the testing. The devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. What is being tested? What is being tested about Jesus in this story? It's his loyalty and his allegiance to the Father. Are you going to trust me to make you king? Are you going to take it by force and do it in an easier way, maybe a quicker way? Are you loyal to me and to my plan? And the way out that we see Jesus use over and over again in this story is scripture. It tells us the character of God. It reminds us what is true and what is not. If you look back at verse... Um, wait a minute. What did I do with it? Oh, it's not in this passage. It's in the next one. Sorry. Got confused there. Okay, so the question I want to ask you about this one is, what are some scriptures that help counter the lies you believe? What are some scriptures that help counter the lies you believe? Jesus didn't have to stop and look in his concordance. He didn't have to stop and go, hmm, what was that scripture anyway? He had some answers down for the lies that Satan was telling him, and we need to have answers from scripture for the lies that Satan is telling us. It's one of the ways out that God provides for us. One of the things I want you to notice is that we tend to think that once we sign up to follow Jesus— that everything's going to be easy and it's going to be a lot of fun.
But if you look back at this story of Jesus being tempted, there's not much that's fun about this story. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Guys, I would be out there. I would be like, nope, I'm done. This is, this is too hard. I, I am not going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he also knows that this was not the end of his testing. The expectation in verse 13 is that Satan will not give up, but God will provide a way out and that God will be faithful. Okay, so the next one is Matthew 26, 36 to 46. And this one's out of the New Living Translation. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's, Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. I don't know about you, but being anguished and distressed does not sound like a lot of fun. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup can be taken away, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. I feel like Jesus needed to pick some better friends. (laughs) So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. What is being tested in this story? The same thing. Jesus' loyalty and allegiance to his Father. Is he going to choose the way of the upside-down kingdom where the king has to lay down his life for his subjects? Or is he going to choose to get himself out of that pain and suffering that Drew so aptly talked about during communion. So way out number two, how do we see Jesus find a way out of this? We see it in prayer. If we go back to verse 41, the one I was looking for in the other passage, um, it says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I love the message version of this. There is part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God. But there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. I think that that describes most of us. Most of us are willing and eager to do anything for God. But then there's this other part of us that's just lazy or that just doesn't want to um, get the pain, the same pain, go through the same pain that Jesus did. So we talk to God in prayer. We draw strength from him. That's what we see Jesus doing. We tell him, I don't want to go through this, 
but if this is how the kingdom comes, then your will, not mine. And then the way out, number three, that I see that God provides is community and accountability. Um, For us, those might be things like an LTG group, a small group, a mentor relationship. Um, It could be a lot of different things. And Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So encourage one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess, pray with each other. Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, we can expect that living as an apprentice to Jesus will be very difficult. And as we see Jesus talk with God before his crucifixion, we see that he says, I don't want to go through this. He tells God exactly what he wants and exactly how he's feeling. But he also prays the same thing we're told to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but yours. Only God knows how his kingdom needs to come. So I submit to that, and I ask him to deliver me by his presence and power so that I can stand up to evil and not give in to it. I trust that if the Father leads me into a trial, he will deliver me from it. Every day we need to be reminded that Jesus, following Jesus is not easy. Temptation, tests, and trials will come our way, but that is not a sign that the Father has abandoned us. He will deliver us, although many have to give up their lives, including Jesus. That may be our deliverance, is to give up our life. Our biggest temptation is to believe lies. God is not good. God is withholding something good. If something looks good for me, it must be good. There's nothing wrong with me. It's the people and situations around me. What Drew said during communion, that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out for us, should answer any question we have about whether or not God is good. That should be our answer back every time Satan tempts us with that lie. When we are tempted, God will provide a way out for us. Scripture, prayer, community, and accountability. And those are just a few. There are plenty of others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If I have to go through temptation, testing, or trial, deliver me so that I may remain faithful to you. Don't let me give up. Don't let me be sucked in by Satan. As we were, I, don't, I honestly don't remember if we were singing or if we were reading scripture. I don't remember exactly what we were doing. But God brought this to mind, and I haven't had time to really think about where it goes in my notes, and so I'm just going to share it with you, and if it means something to you, great. And if not, then you can just talk about how unorganized I am afterwards. 
Um, but one of the things I was thinking about is in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, um, I lost my train of thought. Ephesians chapter 6, let me just turn there, and that will probably jog my memory, although I can't make any promises. Oh, it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. One of the things I was thinking about is just how many times our temptations, our trials, our testing have to do with people. And this clearly says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Those do not come by the people they come by. They come by spiritual forces of evil. And so we need to be really careful with people that we are involved in conflict with. The second thing is that in First or Second Peter, I can't remember which one, it says God is willing that none should perish. God is willing that none should perish. When you pair those two together, the battle is not against flesh and blood, and God is willing that none should perish. That is a huge responsibility for us to remember this battle is not against people, and that God wants those people saved, even if they've done terrible things. He's not saying don't protect yourself. He's not saying don't put boundaries in place. But he is saying that he cares about every person and wants them to be saved. So again, I don't know where that fits in. I don't even know if that applies to you at all. But it applies for somebody I know because the Spirit kept impressing that on me. Okay, so in conclusion of our uh, Lord's Prayer series, um, we actually are going to have one more next week, but it's going to be more of an activity than it's going to be a sermon. Let's review each line before we say it together and talk about what that line means. So the first line, our Father who art in heaven, God is the best Father who is reigning over the whole universe. Hallowed be thy name. He is holy. He is completely unique. He has no rival. He has no equal. Thy kingdom come. Let more and more of heaven take over more and more of earth. Thy will be done. Bring my will in a line with yours. It's not my will, but yours, Lord. On earth as it is in heaven, here in our space as it is in your space. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me depend on Jesus, the bread of life, for what I need today. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us according to how we forgive others. God has forgiven us much, so we will forgive others. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If I have to go through temptation, testing, or trial, deliver me that I may remain faithful to you. When I look at what each one of those lines means... This is a powerful prayer, and it's not something that I think 
I've ever sat down and thought about. Honestly, I just thought Jesus said this is the way we should pray, so we should just go for it. But thinking about what really is meant by each of those lines gives this prayer a whole lot of meaning in my life. As we say it together, I want you to think about this being a time of recommitment. In a culture where a son is apprenticed to his father, he would have been asking his father, teach me, mold me, shape me to be like you. It's saying, I want to sign on to your kingdom, Lord. I give everything I have and everything I am. I'm all in. I'm fully committed to living like Jesus did. Make me like him. I surrender my life to your lordship. So as we say this together, think about it as a recommitment time. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and be seated. I hope that that will be valuable for you going forward in your prayer life. It's not definitely uh, the only prayer to pray, but it is the way that Jesus taught us to pray and something that we can imitate um, and that is really powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. And I, this week, I got to listen to Peta's. I was gone last Sunday. I got to listen to Peta's sermon. And it was such a treat. I'm really sad that I missed it. And so if you were also gone, I want to highly encourage you to, to listen to Peta's or any of the other ones that you, you missed to help kind of delve deeper into any of these lines of the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, and it just, it can really enrich your prayer life if you let it. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, don't let the moment, the chance pass by while it's fresh on your mind to go review one of these that you hadn't listened to. Um, we've got a few announcements that we want to highlight, things going on that we don't want you to miss. The first is the cohort slash pastoral, or the pastoral cohort slash college of ministry um, interest meeting thing is happening on December 4th. So uh, you've heard about these things. This interest meeting is happening in one session, though. So if you're interested in either or, the pastoral cohort, which is like a class combined with like a practicum almost. You know, you're learning about pastoral ministry while you're also being given opportunities to do it, to put it into practice. And then also the College of Ministry is literally classes, graduate-level courses about ministry and theology. This semester we've had an Old Testament foundations class, um, which is following the Regent College graduate-level course of that as well as a ministry problems, sorting through ministry problems class. Next semester, they'll be offering a, old, a New Testament foundations class and a Christian history class and a reconstructing your faith class. So those things are, there's a lot to unpack that we don't really have a time to you know, go all the way into on announcements on Sunday morning. So if you want to hear more about those things, there's going to be an interest meeting on December 4th. There we go. 
at uh, the Poche House, 1903 Misty Wood Lane. A little bit after church, you've got a little bit of time to grab some food and then head over there. So if you're even a little bit interested in either of those things or both, please don't miss that opportunity. If you, for some reason, can't make that meeting, there are ways we can get you information so that you don't miss the chance to to maybe take one of those classes or uh, be interested in the cohort or whatever, uh, don't don't let that prevent you from from exploring that. So ask me or Leslie or any of our current cohorts or whatever if you've got some questions about that and you can't make it to the meeting, but make that your priority. You'll get to hear from people currently taking those classes or cor- currently in the pastoral cohort, their experiences, their highlights, that kind of stuff. So don't miss that. The next thing is the prayer meeting, which is December 1st, 7 p.m. at the Hollingsworth House. Um, it's been a shorter time period. We're kind of th- trying to thread the needle around um, operating around our, oh, that sounds like it was my mug that Sean just knocked over. It's okay. I think I drink it all. So um, we're trying to basically navigate around the holidays. So it'll only be a three-week gap, but please don't miss our prayer meeting December 1st. It's going to be really fun. We'll, I think, still be putting into practice some of the Lord's Prayer stuff. Um, and Don and Kurt have been really great about leading that, and then a lot of you have stepped up to help kind of give ideas to, to how that goes. So uh, that's December 1st, 7 p.m. at the Hollingsworth House. That's a Thursday evening. The next thing is the chairs team. I haven't heard from Ricardo how many people have responded, but he hasn't told me that there's been, like, just uh, a huge wave of people. Two, there's been two or three. Okay, let's get maybe two more people who could help Ricardo and the gang, as we call them. Ricardo and the gang to uh, do chairs and banners set up in the morning, uh, Sunday morning. So if you're interested in that and you've been kind of kicking the can down the road, thinking somebody else will volunteer instead, this is your chance to now say yes. Talk to Ricardo after church, and uh, he can get you figured that out, figured out how to join that and get in the rotation of helping on Sunday mornings. Um, the next thing is our, our, the, our daily bread um, thing. Did you calculate the donations from last week? I did like some rough math. Here's the rough math I came up with. Somewhere in the middle of the 400s. So we, last week, which is pretty crazy, last week we announced this special contribution to help cover a meal for the homeless and in need in our community that our Daily Bread is doing while they're in between buildings. And you guys responded super well to that. Basically, it was about $500 to cover one of those meals to serve the homeless population that they're used to serving meals. And I think we have really close to the $500 amount. So a lot of you guys... Like basically, we kind of gave the numbers that if 50 of you guys gave 10 bucks, we'd reach it, or if 10 of you guys gave 50 bucks, we'd reach it, and we got super close. So if, if you either didn't hear about that opportunity or you wanted to give and haven't done so yet, please do that, and we'll, we'll meet that need pretty quickly. But basically, um, it's, it's akin to us all getting some food together and bringing it to the homeless in our community and serving them. We just, uh, this is the way that we're able to help them do that. We'd love to have actually done it that way, but the scheduling didn't work out, but they had a lot of meals that churches hadn't covered. We really wanted to help our daily bread and the ministry that they're doing that's really good here in our city. So if you want to help do that, give 10 bucks, give 50 bucks, somewhere between there, we will be able to meet that that $500 goal pretty easily. And anything that we go over will help sort of sponsor another meal in case there's another church who couldn't quite come up with the 500 or whatever to help with a meal. So don't miss that opportunity, as well as just our standard giving to keep normal things going on, keep ministry going on, and keep investing in you, and also helping in the needs in our community here at DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate. Yes. Um, just pick whichever one seems feels right. Just kidding. 
just kidding. Yeah, the most important thing really is to put our daily bread or ODB in the memo. Thanks for reminding me. Yes, that's the most important thing to do. Uh, you can give, a lot of you guys gave on offerings, some of you guys gave on benevolence. It kind of just was a little bit of a choose your own adventure, but please put our daily bread or ODB in the memo line. That would be no for sure what you're trying to give this to. Does that make sense? Great question. As well as just, it's the same form that we do for our standard giving too. Um, so dentonorthchurch.com slash donate or on Venmo at Denton North Church. And now Don is going to come close us out. This, this, sorry, I could have given you a little more notice this morning. Um, if any of you guys have any questions about the Our Daily Bread stuff um, or our offering stuff like that, you can ask Leslie and I. But we'll let you guys know if when we run the, the tally, we've reached that 500 so you guys can all celebrate and, and um, be grateful together. Come on. Stay on this mic. Y'all can hear me okay, right? Yeah. Yay! Two thoughts on Thanksgiving. One, you guys be safe going home if you're traveling. Um, Thanksgiving, one of those great holidays, lots of food, you know, turkey dressing, cornbread dressing, hello. That's the proper way. Yeah, my wife, you know, bread, yeah, yeah, it's all other story. But when you're with your family and when you're away, when you're thinking about this holiday, remember, as much as we'd like to think it's, it's a happy time and it's a, a warm time with family, for many of us, it's not. It's stressful. There's so much going on. You know, I wish it were one of those, you know, Norman Rockwell paintings, you know, of everyone sitting around the table and it's not the case. We've got lost loved ones struggling loved ones, sick loved ones, families that are just like this right now. So let's be mindful and remember each other as we're away for this holiday and be thankful for what we have and for what you are and what you bring to this church family. You are that special. The other thought on Thanksgiving is today marks the 25th anniversary that the Garland Church started. 25 years ago today, a group of believers who were like, you know, we need something different. We need a challenge. We're, we're feeling God calling us to do something. And they decided to meet in Garland. Garland Northeast, as we know it now, because we have so many families of churches with that. But a thought came to mind, much like that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. What would have happened if they didn't? meet? What would have happened if they didn't make that decision to become a church family, to step out in faith? We would not be here right now, guys. This would be an empty hallway with lots of pretty paintings. We are here because of the faithfulness, the trust, the willingness to listen and take a step in faith that these people chose to do. And because of that, so many other ministries have become alive because of that. I wouldn't be here. And I'm thankful that I am here. I am thankful that God brought Garland Northeast into my life. And because of that, I get to share Thanksgiving with you. You guys are family. And just some things to think about, you know?
That's the, that's the positive side of Thanksgiving, okay? You know? Love you guys. Let's pray. God, just uh, be with us as we travel. Even though it may be just down the street or maybe across the state or across the country for this holiday, um, just be with us. Help us if we're in that dark place, if we're in that lonely place, that hurting place. Help us to not forget that we are valuable to you, that you love us, and that you are there for us, even in the midst of that darkness, of that pain, that hurt. Thank you for today's lesson. Thank you for gifting Leslie with the ability to listen to your spirit as she put together the words, and, and we know that you spoke through her, and we thank you for that. God, thank you for our family of churches. Thanks for focus. Thanks for allowing us to be here, Denton North. And we're just appreciative and grateful that you are alive and working in so many lives. And help us to, to be that force. Help us to be that, that individual that listens to you and responds to you and steps out. So in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, how many years, we will continue to be a source, uh, a resource for you. But at the bottom of it, help us to remember that we're nothing. We are nothing without you. So thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Mostly thank you for his sacrifice, of course, and his resurrection. So just be with us. Keep us safe. Pray all this through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.